Welcome to For the Life of Me podcast, where I share musings and perspectives on how we really, truly live a life divine in a world of so much turmoil and opportunities for expansion and transformation. We need to connect to the voices of leadership that are igniting new perspectives and new ways of being together in communion within our human family. I'm very, very excited to welcome Zaid Gale, founder of Peace for Kids, uh, to join me on the podcast this week. Thank you for having me. Deeply appreciate it. Uh, We are in a moment of major transformation and planetary expansion. And during Mm -hmm. the times where Black Lives Matter has come to the forefront and we are seeing our human family united in protests and in demanding justice and transformation within these suppressive, archaic systems that are really everywhere in our modern society. I was really, really looking for the opportunity to have a very deep and meaningful and organic conversation uh, with a thought leader such as yourself and someone who has really been involved in transforming uh, the lives of the Black community and others for over 22 years. Yes, and, and thank you for your willingness to open up to dialogue. It's been the one thing that has been profoundly interesting about this moment is there are some folks who are ready for the shift, who are open to these dialogues and the willingness to kind of go inward and explore this experience from their own journey and perspective. And then there are some who are paralyzed in this moment. And so I'm always grateful for the opportunity to dialogue and have a sincere and authentic conversation about what it means to be human in this moment. What this all brought up for me even more front and center is my connection to the children. And I've been working on a homeschooling, unschooling community for 15 years, and I have failed up uh, quite a few times. (laughs) And uh, I'm doing many things in my life. Um, So I have a plant-based cheese company that I just launched this year, actually in your neighborhood, uh, where Peace for Kids is in, in South Central. And I was very conscious that I did not want to just come in the community and start a company uh, in the community without being uh, somehow connected and sharing community and giving, giving back and also learning and expanding. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we met, um, it was around Kobe, the musician Kobe, and I interviewed Kobe for my podcast. And then you facilitated a, a panel of thought leaders in spirituality. And I was on that panel with Reverend Michael Beckwith over at the Hindu temple. So that was an amazing honor because I'm a huge, huge, really devotee of Reverend Michael for years. And there was a period of (laughs) three years of my life that I went to his um, service three times a week. Wow. Received his transmission. He is blessed and gifted and touched, you know, by spirit and you never listen to Reverend Michael without leaving expanded and, and better than you were before you arrived. Right. And so I'm, I'm taking this opportunity um, to sit with you. I, I just want to learn from you and hear from you uh, what you are experiencing in your community, what you are needing, uh, yeah. and also what is your vision for 
creating this online community both and also physical, actual community with our human family during this expanded time. Wow. Uh, that's a lot. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> but it's a, it's a good a lot. It's something that, you know, to be honest, I had not anticipated that this would be my life's work. When you talk about Reverend Michael, one thing I, I want to be clear about is that I've, I've known him my entire life. Uh, he and my dad were best friends. They grew up in the same neighborhood. And so I've seen his transformation. And part of that transformation informed a lot of who I am as a human being, because when I was young, uh, my dad and, and Michael were revolutionaries. So they had both been involved in uh, movements that were about bringing to four Black justice and equity. And my dad was involved with the Black Panther Party, as well as my mom, who taught at freedom schools to ensure that education uh, reached children of color, Black children in, in the community. And so, you know, that kind of spirit that is all about kind of the radical personal shift is something that was really instilled in me from an early age. And then that was uh, further ushered in with spiritual principle as I watched my dad and Reverend Michael move into their kind of spiritual awareness about how to move from this idea of othering the experience to the collective experience of humanity. And what we find ourselves in this moment is something that we talk a lot about at Peace for Kids. And so I want to just give some context in, in, in terms of who we work with. So we predominantly serve Black children, African-American children in, in South Los Angeles and in the neighborhoods of Watts, Willowbrook, Compton, Inglewood. And one of the things that is really important to us as you talk about the ability to clear out trauma is to move our young people into that awareness because the youth that we work with are youth who are in foster care. And what we know to be true about foster care is from a space in which we talk about the brain science, we know the separation of a child from a parent is a traumatic event. And so all the young people that we work with have experienced some severe adversity in their life. And a lot of times that adversity can become the narrative and story for how they exist on the planet. You know, they continue to go back to that moment in which they were removed and begin to evaluate themselves on the perception of what they were taken from, um, that there was something wrong with them, that there's something wrong with their biology because something was not right with their parents. And so these narratives become a part of their consciousness. And as you can imagine in the work that you do, once that narrative is cycled through over and over again, it becomes your actual truth. And so our responsibility is about disrupting that pattern of thinking to implant new truths and to implant what we believe is real, right? Which is that each one of these young people that we interact with has a profound ability to ignite something powerful on the planet. And it's our responsibility to just be the intermediary for that understanding, for that inner revolution. And so we work on doing that in very radical ways. You know, as you talk about what we've learned over the years, and how that has kind of moved to a space in which our young people can activate their consciousness as people of color on the planet and to do things that they feel are really profound for this, what we call a power for paradigm shift. Uh, the first thing that we really focus on is story. And uh, we talk about story in a really holistic way. And we use the arts and creativity to help them define and understand their story and 
we put them in spaces in which they connect with each other. Because the one thing that's really powerful is when you are in these spaces where, you know, you're living in your head, um, you, you don't recognize your connection to your fellow human beings. You, you don't get it. Mm-hmm. And so what we encourage our students to do is to have conversations with each other about what they've moved through. And we don't just sit them in a room where we make it therapeutic. We have dialogues, we have prompts, we have exercises. And most of those exercises are things that we do that are physical. And so there's some movement incorporated into it. So they begin to feel these things activated in their body about where these stories exist, where these ideas about themselves exist. And then we dialogue about those discoveries and we put them to creative arts. Um, And so sometimes it's poetry, sometimes it's film, sometimes it's music. Uh, But the idea of creating something from that pain then initiates the idea that you can take pain and you can transform it into your individual power. And that's that power for paradigm shift that we're talking about, right? Where you can anchor into a new narrative and you begin to see, I can shift my thought about that one moment. And then I can use that as a catalyst to move forward in my life to do something that I choose to do. I'm no longer beholden to this old idea of self. I can transform in this moment and become the master of my destiny based on my vision for what I want. So that's that's the first thing that we do. And we we talk about that story in the context of superheroes, um, because we know that's something that our kids are highly interested in. And the one thing that we ask them to do when we first do this leadership work with them is we ask them to name their favorite superheroes. And inevitably they'll come up with some of the big names, right? They'll talk about Spider-Man, they'll talk about Superman or Batman. Uh, they'll talk about you know Storm from the X-Men. And we'll ask them, what do all of these characters have in common? And inevitably the first answer is like, oh, they all, they all have superpowers. And we'll say, well, you know, no, Batman is actually just a guy. He doesn't have any superpowers per se, but he's trained himself to, to be an effective advocate for justice. Uh, and so we go through this whole list of different things that they come up with. And eventually they come to the recognition that all of those superheroes were people who had a foster care experience, right? Uh, Superman's planet blew up, um, so he was adopted by a family in Kansas, right? Mm-hmm. Spider-Man's parents were killed. He lived with his aunt and uncle in kinship care. When you think about uh, Storm from the X-Men, she was a street kid because her parents were, were killed as well. And then when she moved from that space into this group home with Xavier, it was a school for students who had these gifts but their gifts had not been celebrated and honored in the world. And so as a result, they were ostracized and put in a separate space where they had to learn that these things that were their burdens that they thought were making them different were actually talents and gifts. And in this school where they got to be surrounded with each other, they learned that these talents and these individual ways of expression were valuable to the planet and that they had to work on mastery in order for that to happen. And I use that analogy in this moment because you asked a question about what can be done. And to me, it's such a lovely metaphor about this moment that we're in. Uh, In this moment right now, it's an opportunity for us to take a look at how we have cast other members of our community outside. And we're talking specifically about the Black community and not embrace their experience as our own. And as a Black man, you know, I often go into spaces where I am the only nonprofit leader who is Black and I'm in community serving Black children. 
And so a lot of times people turn to me and I will say what that experience is like for me. And sometimes those experiences are validated and understood and sometimes they're not. Um, but the whole point of me bringing that into the consciousness of the group is to say, hey, listen, I'm a part of this community as well as a nonprofit leader, right? And so mm -hmm. we need to really be holistically aware of how the things that are happening to me are an extension of this paradigm that we've built collectively as leaders in the community and that we're responsible for shifting that so that this next generation of young people coming behind us steps into a new paradigm of awareness and a new paradigm of opportunity. When I leave, there should not just be a business as usual experience for the next generation of, of leadership that moves through. And so if we can take this moment and say to ourselves, yes, we have an opportunity to embrace the culture of our community and look at this segment and say, they too are a part of who we are, then we can begin to really create some healing because the body is not able to heal if you have a limb that is infected and ill. You cannot just say to the part of your body that is not working and is not healed and is not feeling as though it's a part of the rest of the body that, okay, well, you know, that problem is only affecting the arm. So we'll just let the arm be in pain because eventually that pain becomes pervasive and it affects the rest of the body. And so that's where our opportunity right now in, in our humanity is to say, what part of ourselves is not embracing the wholeness and fullness of who we are? And we created a racial paradigm that divides us based on that consciousness when the truth is we really are all one. And so if we can't embrace that oneness in our activation of who we are in our daily practice, then it's a time to look inward and to create a treatment plan. So that's no longer our existence. Um, and so, you know, that's that's really the work that we've been doing at Peace for Kids for the past 22 years is getting our young people to to see that in themselves, um, that they have to embrace their story. They have to make that a place of transformation where they access their power for paradigm shift. And then it's incumbent upon us to bring the stories of those young people into our community so that people see them uh, and honor them and begin to understand that it's not those children over there, but that they are our children. Yes. And a collective responsibility for their healing is going to lead to our healing, right? We, yes. we, we don't get out of this alone. No. That is the most beautiful description and powerful example of true transformation. I'm just so deeply touched. All events are neutral until we apply perspective and... <laughs> Uh, you know, and so it, it really goes into really realizing that we are powerful creators. Now, that's not that's denying it. the violence or the trauma or the absolute horrific um, practices that have been a part of this planetary history. Um, yes. But this is what we're coming to rewrite. And when I'm working with clients one on one who have severe trauma, I always meet them in the suffering first as a as a healing frequency of i see you i receive you i feel you i'm acknowledging that and then i explain to them i can't stay here with you because if i stay here with you i cannot help you transform so That's from it. there after i've felt them and they feel safe and nurtured then i have to go high vibe i have to take the big view <laughs> and when we are strong enough to look at the polarity of this realm that we incarnated into and all the shadow and all the unimaginable experiences that make up half of what we are all experiencing here, both individually and collectively, we can truly become masters. But when we hide 
in the illusion of the light of only looking for the pretty or the pleasing or the storyline that fits in with some narrative that makes us feel okay, uh, we lose the opportunity to truly become the greatness that we are. That's it. That's it. That's it. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about going into that space where the suffering is real and then, you know, attuning to that frequency, what I love about that is that you also show the way to shift from that frequency into, you know, a new awareness of self. And um, that's the, the, the other thing that's been really valuable. And having done this for 22 years is that now we have young people who have shown that vibrational frequency of shift, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm at a stage in my life where I, I acknowledge I'm not as young as I was when I, when I started doing this work. I'm not as cool. I don't listen to the same music. I don't engage in the same type of activities that they engage in, which is fine. And so when you get young people who are in their 20s and early 30s who've been through the program and they've made that shift, mm-hmm. and those young people are still engaged in our community, And they come and they say, listen, this is not just something that he's selling to you. This is transformational. And I am the example of it being transformational. That story that you have is my story, right? And it's a story that, you know, harkens back to slavery and the experience there. The one thing that I tell all of the Black children that we serve is I say, listen, I want you to recognize that you're an extension of some of the strongest willed people on the planet that you endured the Middle Passage, the transatlantic slave trade, Jim Crow, the Civil War, the list goes on and on and on. You, you have endured all of that. That is in your DNA. And yet still you are here. And as a people, we are truly forgiving, right? There's a space in us that says we're still open for healing and transformation and connectivity. Yes, we want to be seen, but we don't want to in any way bash you for who you are. We don't want to diminish you. We want to celebrate ourselves and we want to forgive you for the transgressions that we have so that we can be whole as a community. And there's such a powerful thing about that, that I want our young people to get that really resonates with me. And it resonated, like I said, in the experience of my dad and Michael, because, you know, they experienced some really horrific things around race during the time that they were growing up. And so they took a very radical view about that until they recognized that the most radical thing that we can do is to be in this place where we are absolute love, to be in a place where we are absolute joy, because the idea of nonviolence and shifting the perception of someone who's in front of you to remind them that you are part of them is that when they do harm to you, they are going to have to atone for themselves in seeing your peaceful resistance in that response. Um, And that was one of the things that was beautiful about the civil rights movement, right? Is that the teachings were, you do not turn in anger or violence towards the people who are oppressing, towards the people who are hurting and harming and injuring you, because the world is going to see their inhumanity. And then the world is going to have to atone for their willingness to let that inhumanity exist. And so we're at that moment again, in which the world is being called to look at this moment and say, are we willing to accept the fact that we are being this inhumane to people who are like us, to people who are showing up in peace, in love, in this idea of wanting to have fellowship. Can we sit and rest in this idea that we're okay with this being our reality? And at the moment, 
yeah, you see the shift happening and people are saying, no, it's, it's, this is no longer acceptable. So when we talk about folks on the front lines, the thing that's been beautiful to, to, to me is that there's so much diversity in people who are protesting in this moment, right? Oh, um, yeah. You know, while the call has been about Black Lives Matter, uh, the, the call is really about, you know, human life is important on all levels of the experience. And so we need to embrace that and make that our edict and our way of life in all circumstances. Um, and today it's about Black Lives Matters. You know, tomorrow it can be about the LGBTQA community. The day after that, it can be about young kids who are in foster care. It doesn't matter whatever you place in that blank. What matters is that we are atoning and reconciling for ourselves the world that we want to see. And what you speak is the truth and wisdom because we are at a 26,000 year procession where this is the birth of a new way of earth in this realm. And it is happening. It doesn't matter who doesn't want it to happen. It doesn't matter what <laughs> political person's in office. It is happening. And, you know, we're obviously experiencing this global, uh, you know, quarantine. And, and there are many, many different perspectives that are flying around. And the power is in embodying the treasure of this experience, the opportunity to gather strength to be shown some of the horror that has been going on in our planetary realm for hundreds of years um, at levels that, you know, many of us weren't really even fully in touch with. And what I will say is that, you know, Vedically in the Vedic texts, we are in the beginning of a six to 10 year transformation. And mm. so we must embody ourselves in the truth of who we are to stand up and say no like a guarding mother, you know, a lot of times we talk about, you know, feminine energy. Well, feminine energy isn't just about being sweet or peaceful or calm or pleasing. Sometimes the mother says no enough or That's stands it. up and, and guards the children. It is our duty. That, that is who we are. It's who we want to be. We are humane. Humanity is humane. We are not inhumane. And so we've lost our way. We've given our control over to these systems that we thought were our security, and we've been deceived. And this is the beginning of many, many, many reveals. And all of us are needed. It always makes me sort of slightly amused when I see humanity looking for a consensus. They're always looking for the right way or the wrong way. And, you know, humans love to intellectualize about these concepts and analyze them. And yet when you look in creation, there is not another one life form that's the same in all of the multiverse, even within right. the black community, even within the brown community, within white community, we're all completely different. So we should understand there is no consensus. There is just this immense, vast diversity. And we are being provided the solutions to the challenges we are facing, and they are coming in the form of our children. And if we continue to suppress those life forms and put them into educational systems that are obsolete, or teach them that they are not enough, or put them into cultures and societies of bullying and violence and abuse, we are going to miss the very treasures that creation has sent us. Right. This has been the dear, dear um, call of, of me um, to create a Jai Seed Living Remembrance 
and I was a little ahead of my time. So I, I failed <laughs> up you know, a few times. I've been the crazy woman in the back of the room trying to, you know, beg people to uh, embrace this way. And now that everybody's in quarantine, uh, suddenly a lot of people are a lot more open into alternative ways of, I don't even like the word education because it's a process of living and being with our children. It's a life process. It's a living process. Yes. I want to go back to something that you said, which is that uh, resistance is futile during this particular moment. And the, the recognition that all sides of the, the coin are necessary for this transformation, for this paradigm shift. And so if you're in the resistance, that too is a, a necessary thing as a catalyst to move forward because that discomfort is a marker for you to sit still, to be conscious, and then to move to wherever your inner consciousness says you need to move to. And to do that without fear, uh, and to do that from a place of your own power and your own story. And it does not mean that there's not going to be any challenges along the way. You know, I think one of the things that has not served us um, in the world now is there is this performative culture in which people are curating the experience. And so in curating the experience, you know, I've noticed that there are some folks who feel as though the path is supposed to be easy and that you're you're not allowed to have any pain or friction but birth in and of itself is something that is not a painless or frictionless experience, right? It is something that requires, you know, the power and presence of both mother and child and father and, you know, whoever, the midwife, whatever, everybody has to be really conscious and present in that moment. And it is a place of severe discomfort. What emerges from that is something that is absolutely beautiful. And so to to recognize, as you said, that we're in this moment and to really sit with that and embrace that, um, but then also to say, okay, where am I feeling this discomfort? And so what am I being asked to do? What am I being asked to co-create? And to do what you have done, right? Which is to say, well, let let me have a conversation. Let me have a dialogue. Let me listen. And hopefully that listening will spark something in me that creates a new action. And your action has been to say, well, I've had this school that I've been working on, and I feel like this is what I have been guided to do, that this inner vision has sent me to this moment. And I also recognize that I have this love for veganism and this love for eating clean and healthy. So how can I embrace and and do that in this community? Because I feel like that's going to be necessary for this shift that we're going to happen. Um, So that doesn't mean you have to go out on the front lines and protest. It means that you do you. You, know, you listen to your authentic voice and you bring to the table what is your divine gift. That's what this moment is calling for. It's not calling for you to behave differently. It's calling for you to activate a deeper consciousness of what is necessary for you to live your highest and best purpose. Because the moment you go out and try to do something that you believe is necessary for this moment to happen, for you to feel as though in the performative culture that you have acknowledged and done the right thing and that you can post to socials that you were out there doing what you needed to do, that takes away from your own inner inherent power. Yes. And I go back to the the analogy that I, you know, I gave about, you know, the superheroes and the X-Men, right? What I love about that analogy is everybody that goes to Xavier School, and I'm not sure if you're a big, you know, superhero fan or or, or comic fan, but every kid that goes there is different. You know, yes. so you talked about diversity earlier. They have their own gift. 
they can't behave and take on the gift of someone else because then they can't be the best selves. And then they can't create healing and transformation on the planet based on how they're supposed to do it. So, it. so let's stop, let's stop trying to assume that we are going to take on the experience of someone else and live their life for them and improve the world for them. We are co-creators. So let's co-create. Let's yes. have these conversations. Let's talk about our gifts. Let's talk about how we view our gifts and how important those gifts are. You know, in our community, yes, we are serving predominantly Black children, but the volunteers who come, and we have over, you know, 200 active volunteers, the volunteers come in all race, shape, size, and ability. And that's necessary to the conversation because our children need to see that we are examples of how diversity can coexist and create the environments that we believe are necessary for our greater humanity. That is your job. So don't be afraid of being paralyzed. Sit with that. I think that's beautiful. And then turn inward and hear where that thing is being kind of lifted inside of you, where the frequency is being kind of tapped into that call that says, all right, what's the best you that you can be in this moment? What is the thing that you've been working on that perhaps because of other distractions, and you spoke about this earlier, right? This, this idea that in this moment, we are spending a lot of time with self because <laughs> we're, you know, we've been asked by the, by, by the universe and the world to do that. And so in this moment, where can you turn your attention to really increase, increase your vibrational energy to do the things that you have been put on the planet to do? Just gorgeous, gorgeous truth. You know, I was feeling there is this sort of shaming culture that's going on online that if you don't do it the way that it's being advocated to be done, then you're not doing enough or you're not for real. And I feel like it's this kind of, again, the human being looking for that one right way. You know, they it, we, we feel out of control. This is horrific. We want it to stop. So then you know, we, we want to create one method. And if someone's not following it, then we want to shame that person or, and I think that we need to embrace all perspectives and understand that every single life form will have its own perspective. If we end up living someone else's perspective, we will not have realized our own life form. Dedicate your life with devotion to creating something that is going to activate change. That is the distinction that I haven't really heard uh, stated as clearly and as eloquently as you just presented that. So thank you for that. It's a quite beautiful, expansive perspective. Yeah. And to be clear, that is a, a learning directly from the experience of our youth. You know, what we've always fancied ourselves at Peace for Kids is we fancy ourselves to be anthropologists. And when, you know, we, we went here, it was very personal for me because my mom is someone who had the lived experience in foster care. And, you know, she was the oldest of eight. And when I was a kid, all of her brothers and sisters lived with us at some point. And she had a younger brother who was just four years older than me. And he was like my big brother. And we had kind of parallel opportunities as we were moving through, through life. You know, he lived with us. He, he had the opportunity to, to make certain decisions in his life. And, you know, he, he chose a completely different path than, that, that, than the one that I chose. And, you know, this is a man that I love. I still love him today. And I've seen how his life has been different 
And I see how my mom has made some very specific efforts to kind of change the cycle and become present and aware in herself so that that did not transfer onto us as her children. She was unwilling to allow the traumas that she had endured become our own. And she made a very concerted effort to make that happen. So much so that if ever her siblings who were living with us, if they were ever behaving out of integrity, then she was done. It was not a question. She loved them. But she said, you can no longer be in my house because I'm not going to bring that consciousness into the household with my children. So that's something that they believe is a path that they can take. This is not a path that I want my children to even consider because I'd made a decision that this is not for me. And I'm inviting you to this vibrational frequency with me because you're my sibling. But I also will love you if you choose not to. If you choose you know, your pain over your power, that's fine. I'll allow you to live in that, but I'm not going to allow that to be in my space. And I live with my mom now because we moved in here when my dad was making his transition. And so we, we've had this blended household of multi-generations in one space. And so there's been all these realizations that I've had about my mom's childhood that I never knew about. And I'm in my, you know, my late forties and Isn't I've learned amazing? so much about her. Yeah. About the things, the decisions that she made in order to kind of bring the reality and truth of the human condition into my life. And it's been because of my mom's example that I wanted the young people in the Peace for Kids community to have the same experience. You know, for my mom, she focused on education. Education became her North Star that she knew like, hey, if I am a lifelong learner and if because I'm interested in discovery and learning, that is going to be the thing that I dedicate my life to. And she then went on to become a principal and you know, she taught in South LA. So she taught a lot of students that looked like her because she was in the neighborhood that she grew up in and working with students that looked like her and had the same experiences. And I decided what better way to honor the legacy of my mom to ensure that these young people who are having similar experiences get to build with each other and then transform themselves by embracing their individual talents and powers and bringing foundational change to the planet. And these young people are, have done some phenomenal things, way more than I did at age 20 and my early 30s. And people will say, well, wow, you know, you have done this work and you created these exceptional human beings through Peace for Kids. And I always have to stop people and say, I, I didn't create anything. I, I'm not in charge of their lives. They're in charge of their life. What has happened is to your point, because they were invited to incarnate in the body at this time, because they were encouraged to take this path, that the growth that they can have is exponentially greater than my own because they've had to make the same decisions that my mother had to make. They had to make the decision that I'm going to see the greatest divinity in all things. I'm going to reconcile all this suffering that has happened to me in my life, and I'm going to call it good. And while that might be painful for somebody else to reconcile with, while they may look at me and they may feel sorry for me, they may feel sad for me, I'm not going to take those emotions away from them. But what I'm going to say is that that moment was for me to step into my highest and best, and I will not let anyone take that away from me. And so we don't diminish and erase the past. We make the past the present. We make it their moment now as, again, their power for paradigm shift. And so... I fully believe that the young people that we've been engaged with in our community 
have been setting the example for what we need to do right now. Everyone is being encouraged to do what our young people have taught me to do, which is to be still, be present, acknowledge the pain, embrace it, step into that shadow side, see the light in it, and embrace all aspects of it so that what you then create from that moment is a field that has been burned where all those things that have perceived to have been your fear, your concerns, your doubts, all those things end up being eradicated because you've already moved through some of the most painful stuff that the human being can experience. So then what is ever in front of you is no longer a challenge for you. What is in front of you is an opportunity to co-create a universe, a multiverse that is diverse, that is a place of power and strength, and that is an example for what God has encouraged us to do as part of a human family. It's gorgeous, beautifully expressed. Wow, that's so hopeful. (laughs) (laughs) Really, really, really so so beautiful, so beautiful. Wow, Zaid, such a pleasure to to hear you and listen to you and receive your your beauty and your heart and your wisdom. And I would say your mama, your mama did a really good job. (laughs) Yes, she did. Yes, she did. (laughs) What is your mother's name? Her name is Deborah, Deborah Gale. Deborah Gale. I want to know more. Uh, I'm looking forward to the expansion and deepening of our relationship and and co-creating together. I want to know how can people support you and and what is Peace for Kids needing in the way of finances, uh, resources, anything? How can we support you? Appreciate that. Well, we're always encouraging people to reach out and volunteer to become a part of the community. Uh, that looks different now, and we're reevaluating what volunteerism looks like because, of course, we're not physically in the same space with the kids that we've been engaged with over the past 22 years. But again, we recognize people have different gifts. So if there's something that you feel like you've been moved by this conversation, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm an artist, I'm a poet, I'm a musician, or I'm a teacher, I'm an educator, whatever it is, whatever your talent is, come reach out to us. Um, you can email us at Info at Peace for Kids. That's peace, the number four, kids.org. And see if you can come play with us. Of course, we have very specific things that you can donate to. We're never going to turn down anybody's desire to contribute to the movement. One of the things that we are still deeply engaged in, even in this moment, is uh, our garden program. So we still have a garden. Our young people are starting to come back out. We have this mobile kitchen in which we hope to use Uh, some of your plant-based cheeses to create some new meals, right? (laughs) Uh, And to help feed the community because we recognize that food insecurity is something that members in in South LA are experiencing now as a result of the appearance of not being able to have access to the abundance that's around them and unemployment, et cetera. So we're supporting the community in creating some food through meals that our young people are creating and, and sharing in kind of a a space where folks don't have to pay for it and they can just come enjoy a a good vegan meal. The other thing beyond kind of donating to our our food and and programs is that we're asking folks to take the time to research their local races in terms of things that they should be voting on and to decide where they want to invest their dollars and their time into transforming leadership in our communities. We fundamentally believe in in advocacy and we believe in putting the right people in the right places so that we can hold them accountable. 
So research the folks that are in your community that you believe are in high integrity. And if there are people who are in office who are not in high integrity, then it's time for us to move them out as we recognize that you know, for so long, uh, the majority consciousness has been perpetuating their idea of what humanity is supposed to be that is tend to be self-serving. You know, I, I don't ever want us to forget that there's a there's a great responsibility to engage in that as well. And one thing that's really uplifting also is to see, again, when you stop and imagine that this is a global awareness, it it brings so much power and so much vision of hope and, and what we can really create. I, I agree with you. The need for a deeper level of connectivity and reimagining what education looks like, it's, it's the ideal time for that. Uh, because what we are looking to create are not children who will take on particular jobs because we need industry to survive. We're looking for kids who will recognize that their ability to transform the world is already inherently within them and that their practice of accessing that through community is going to be what heals the planet and, and heals all of us. So so thank you for doing that work. And we, we would love to participate however you'd allow us to. We're in a thousand percent. Zaid, it's just such a pleasure to connect with you. My heart is full, and um, I'm, I'm very, very hopeful for the vision that we're going to co-create in service to our beloved children. Ashe, who you say? <laughs>